All right, uh, three, two, one, and we're live, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Take This Online with me, Digital Hoos, Hassam al Haj. Uh, for people who don't know who Digital Hoos is, um, awesome guest today. I was able to, to squeeze him in before he was traveling. I, ha- I had to get him in because I know he was heading out. We have Alex Malouf, who is, I guess you've been in the, you know, the communications world for quite a long time, huh? I've been in comms in this region for 15, 16 years. I've go. I've been around. I've, been got, around. <laughs> I've got the lines on my on my face, and yeah, I can I can tell a lot of stories. Oh, there you go. Uh, let's get straight into it, man. Uh, give us a bit of your background. How like what do you study? So I I actually studied um, politics and Middle Eastern studies. Okay, why? Um, I think that was just Lebanese person in me. That was my Fair Lebanese enough. side wanting to, you know, say I'm a political expert. Okay. You know, and have a piece of paper to show it. Were you always into that kind of stuff, like in high school or school? Were you always into, were you like, you know, like you were into history and stuff like that? Was that always your thing? I think because I wanted to go and work um, with with NGOs okay. in in Lebanon or in the West Bank Very or cool. Gaza, and and make my mark. And that was when I was altruistic, and I was you know wasn't thinking <laughs> about mortgages. And we were and all marriage. altruistic yeah. before before adulthood. <laughs> yeah, they, they were the good old days, but. That was my first degree, and I did uh, a master's in computation, and then I did a third. Interesting. What? That's an interesting change there. Yeah, but you know, at the time it made sense. So my, my dad was working in IT. Um, also, I've got a couple of other family members in IT. Okay. And you know, this was, what, 20 years back, yeah. almost. And it was when you know, the, the dot, dot com boom um, was yeah. happening, and everything was being shaped. Yeah. By IT. it wasn't being shaped the way it's being shaped today, but you know, I could see what was coming, and I wanted to have a little bit of a background, even though I've never used my Java programming or, or C sharp or anything else I've learned on that side. Um, and then I did a uh, another master's, which was in marketing. All right, so, cool. A bit of uh, stop there for the political. Were you your bachelor's was exactly what it was like? It was uh, Middle Eastern slash. Um, Arabic slash Islamic studies with a couple of things okay. thrown in because it was the UK system. So, you know, you choose okay, okay. your different modules. What university you don't really was have this? a minor. What university? It was Durham University in the north of England. Oh, cool. Really, really cold in winter, yeah. minus five, and you just go out with a t shirt. <laughs> I was actually, I did my master's in Uxbridge, Bruno. So, mm. not as cold as Durham, yeah. but pretty cold yeah. still. So in that study, do you do like history? Do you current politics? Do you like, uh, you know, past politics? What was it exactly? Or so is it just very general? Current politics, uh, literature, okay. it, just anything and everything. You know, you look at things like... History too? History too. You look at the Israeli-Palestinian issue. You look at things okay. like the Gulf and Iran. Everything. Okay. Everything you can think of. Any time period that always resonated with you? Uh, I think what was fascinating to me was how the the modern Middle East was shaped. Interesting. Um, you know, looking again, my part of my background is Palestinian, so yeah. every single Palestinian will know about the Balfour Declaration, of course, and, and all of these um, historical um, uh, happenings. But just looking at how the mandates were shaped, looking at how the region has. Has developed since then, and especially actually in the Gulf as well. Mm. The the birth of the modern Gulf in the nineteen sixties, seventies onwards, and yeah. and how it's reshaped yeah. the region. It's it's interesting. I was always into history. I absolutely love it. Um, even though 
Like I was a terrible student growing up. I was a horrible student. Lazy. They want to study. But history always really... I love to read. I've been reading since I was very young. So I used to love to read about history. And only until recently did I really find interest in Middle Eastern history, which is like as a, as a growing up, like I was always interested in, for example, in Nazi Germany. Yeah. I was fun. I think everyone is. And I was interested in like the Crusades, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But only until recently did I really start getting into 20th century Middle Eastern history, mm-hmm. especially uh, I, th- I found the Shah of Iran, the, that time period was fascinating. The, obviously the Arab-Israeli war because you know my grandmother's Palestinian so I heard of, I grew up hearing stories you know about how she used to live in Palestine mm. and, and how her neighbors were, were Jewish and they got along then one day things changed so I also have some of that interest in that time period but have you just seen the have you seen the Netflix about the angel Marwan Ashraf I've watched a couple of episodes yeah it's yeah. quite interesting Really, really quite interesting. It was a pretty interesting time in history between Gamal al-Nasir and Warsada and that and that time period. I think if you look at the cultural shift as well, yeah. I I remember hearing stories when I was younger about how um, the family was in, you know, for example, in Jordan or in Lebanon, yeah. um, what they were wearing, what they were saying, what they were campaigning mm. um, on, you know, what they were, say, pushing for in terms yeah. of change. And it's fascinating to see how the region has shifted and how mentality has shifted. And obviously that feeds into what I do as my day job, yes. which is, you know, being a communicator. Um, you know, part of what I think a good communicator should do is try and understand yeah. psychology. Yes. And seeing where we've come from and where we're yeah. heading to is part of that journey. The psychology of history. Is that a thing? I've always actually it's not the first time I talk about it. I've been fascinated by the way people think over time period. So I always thought is psychology of history an actual thing? Like the study of 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 psychology over a period of time. You will often see it um through a lens of politics. Okay. So how people's politics and views have mm. shifted. Uh I'll give a good example, you know, if you look at what's happened say to the Republican Party in the US. Yeah. I know everybody talks about Trump, but yeah, yeah. you know every single video I see or presentation yeah. is always in there. But seeing how people's viewpoints have shifted, mm. and even linking them back in, you know, looking at race relations, yeah. looking at what happened in the sixties, yeah. um, it's different over here because we don't live in um, a region where you know you have democracy as a form of government. Mm-hmm. But still, seeing people's viewpoints yeah. uh, on certain subjects, for example, on religion, yeah. um, on gender, and then seeing how they've shifted, yeah. you know, that really makes for interesting reading. Because what be. you can try and do is look at how things are going to change, yeah. and try and maybe have a positive impact on on those yeah. shifts. I feel we could talk about this for a very long time. But I feel we want to just a, a tangent because I've, I've I've been thinking about this for so, some quite some time now. Uh, but anyway, let's let's not get derailed because i'll be i think we have a podcast just on that on history psychology of history and, and, and finding reliable sources and data sources. anyway so um so then you study so you, you did your bachelor's in that then you went and did computation you said yep oh uh, then you did your master's in marketing yeah where, where was the master's in marketing from so computation was in manchester which okay. is my hometown right, that's cool. where i was born and raised and then i did my uh second master's in marketing that was back in durham as well so what year I, was that uh, this was this was more recent. This was how many years ago? Um, say seven, eight years ago. Okay. Why did you decide to do a master's in marketing? 
I think just because I wanted to sort of complete the circle. You know, Fair enough. I'm, I'm a communicator, yeah. but I also see that the two functions, communications, is often sort of a subset yes. of marketing. But the way that we're shifting with social media, with digital, it's all about content. Yeah. And I think those two, those two functions are actually coming back together and they're, they're almost agree. combining they're, into they're, one. It's so interesting you look at marketing communication like that because that's how I look at digital marketing. So I did my master's in marketing and then I got straight into digital and I realized my master's in marketing means nothing anymore. Because when you go to digital, it doesn't matter. No one cares about the four P's in digital, right? When you're buying impressions and clicks and understanding programmatic media buying, there's no room for, hey, let's talk about the four P's or hey, let's talk about, I don't know, the SWOT analysis. <laughs> so for me, is, did you find use in your i guess i didn't find much use in my master's degree besides having a master's degree and yeah. it looks yeah. good on my cv did you find an actual practical use it, it was a pretty rounded course so we, we did okay. look, we did everything we did strategy um we did accounting okay and financials which is always always useful oh um, that's true yeah the ability to read numbers uh, but what i always find what i what i found most uh useful and always found useful is actually doing the research Okay. So understanding okay. how you can delve into something, um, understanding how you can pick, you know, the the common threads, how you can pick out the, you know, the the issues which make the most impact, okay. and then you know look at the analysis and then form your conclusions from that. Okay. Previously, many years back, I was also a journalist. And I still do writing. Okay. And that's what I. That's what I used to do. I used to go in, do an interview, you know, try and find those big stories and, and really draw the stories out of the, the person I was interviewing. Okay. So in a way, it's similar. That's why I really do enjoy doing research, right, even enough. though it takes up a lot of time. It does. What was your thesis on? Uh, I, did, I did quite a few. So I did one on um, sustainability okay. uh, in the region, how it's reported. Okay. Um, how it's Is your thesis for well. the marketing masters? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I also did. I've done a couple of other things in addition okay. to the diplomas. You know, one was on um, the impact of dark social on crisis communications, okay. and and that's scary. You know, thinking how you can try and handle a crisis when you don't know what the uh, the issue being talked about is because you, you can't see a WhatsApp yeah. thread or or a Telegram conversation. Not, yeah. But then also as well, who's spreading it? how quickly it's spreading and how you can try and counter yeah. you know, what is being said about your brand or your organization. That's really, really tough. For sure. For sure. Coming from the media world. So my thesis, it's so funny how I did my thesis without even ever thinking about I'll end up in, the, in media. My thesis was the effect of advertising on the corporate brand image in the eyes of Arab consumers. I don't know why. I, I, I can't even remember why I picked that topic. But funny enough, ended up, look at me. I'm an advertiser now. This kind of worked out. But then when I got into media and I got into digital, I realized, you know what? My master's still hasn't given me the edge yet. Mm. It's my knowledge in digital gives me the edge yeah. now, right? So but it's interesting how you went into it. So fine, you did your master's and uh, were you working at that time or were you just kind of focusing study, study, study and then you just want to get it over with? No, I was, I was doing the uh, second master's part-time. Oh, part-time. So that was when I was working client side. Okay. Um, and I was trying to you know, balance that, balance, you know, the married life okay balance everything else which comes with that That's so cool. uh yeah that that was a lot of um late nights well well what kind of clients were we doing client side so that time i was working uh with dubai world trade center okay you um, were here 
Mm. I thought you were still. I thought you were, okay, okay, okay. Interesting. Are we doing like was it an online course? It was part online like, and also part okay uh, classroom based. So why flying did, back? Why did you decide to come to Dubai from the UK? Uh, well, I came in 2004 and I came partly because my family was in the region. So okay. my, my dad was working in Saudi. So it was partly being closer to, okay. to him. Makes sense. Uh, but also as well, the UK is very cold and I think it was winter when I applied. <laughs> You're like, where can and I go that's completely yeah, different? <laughs> yeah, where, where, where will I not get frostbite um, wearing a t-shirt? Um, but... Uh, it was just also um, coming out and doing something different. Okay. Um, trying to uh, improve my Arabic, which never really worked out, not in Dubai. Okay. And uh, just having just having a different experience. Okay, makes sense. All right, cool. So you were uh, okay. So you came out here. You were studying, and you said you were you were what? What company was it? The Dubai what? When when I came out. It was with ITP. So this was many, many years okay, ago. Okay, look at you delving into the media world. Yep, yep. <laughs> the, yep, the, uh, the, the biggest um, magazine publisher. Back when print was relevant. Yeah, back when when print was, yeah, consumed. Yeah. Um, but uh, even even then, I remember when I came over, it was 2004, um, they, were, they were doing so much on digital. Digital was just... Really? Yeah. It was, no, they weren't. No, they... they no, for weren't. on the publishing side, is it? You know, they were really pushing hard. I remember when we came in, and you know, we were we were doing both print and online. Yeah, and we had a target of doing three stories a day. Okay, um, online. And you were actually writing the and stories. Yeah, that was your job to write writing, stories. writing the stories, doing as well the uh, you know the the big articles, um, doing the op eds, but putting in three stories a day. Mm. And this was before. We had PRs everywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. sending out press releases, yeah. and and they they were really fun times to be a journalist. You know, Dubai oh, sure. was then sort of picking up, yeah, it was yeah. suddenly starting to uh, to um, become what it is today. Yeah, and you know, there were so many things going on which we wanted to report on, which we could report on. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but it's interesting digital because when I came in two thousand and thirteen. 2013 digital was only like 10 percent of the media spend only 10 percent mm. right and then it, now today it's 50 percent plus yep. and print was still a big chunk i remember 2015 was the last year for print i remember it was like print i remember talking to someone who was print sales who was like yeah we killed it this year and in 2016 it just dropped and dropped and dropped and now it's gone it's interesting how itp was there um didn't deal much with itp i guess we were always focusing on the the Shwery Group print mm, at the time because yeah. they have a lot of those. You know, they're big on the Arab side. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So you did that, and you were studying at the same time. And when, where was the next job? So I I've worked um, on the agency side. Which agency? So I've worked a couple of agencies. My last agency role was just over ten years ago, okay. and that was with Weber Shanwick in Saudi. Okay. Okay. Um, MCN Group here. The yep MCN yeah. Group, and that was looking after the the comms team okay. uh, from Riyadh. Okay. Um, really interesting place, and again, Riyadh was at that time was booming. Yeah, uh, two thousand nine, Dubai was going through the roller coaster. Yes, and the financial crisis. Saudi was fine, and Saudi was not touched. Yeah, Saudi was seeing through everything. Peachy. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were doing great. Um, and I that was my last agency job, and then I went to the client side. I was working B two B with ABB. Wow! So you did. So you did. You went. You went supplier, agency, client side. Yeah. Hats off to you. I've so far I've done only agency and client side. I've yet to do supplier side. 
It will come. You think I'm so? I'm sure it will come. Think so? But it's a di- <sighs> different times, though, huh? This was way before programmatics, uh, media yeah. buying, which kind of changed everything in the region. Mm. That's really, really fascinating. So then, now you went. So now, so agency Weber Shan. How, how do you like? How do you like agency life? Did you enjoy it? Agency life can be a lot of fun. Like, there's yeah. a lot of work, oh, late lot nights. Of work. Um, the the team um, camaraderie, the, the team relationships are. Yeah, you know, they are the basis of agency life, and also as well, I say about agency life, it is only as good as the clients you're working yeah, with. Yeah, very true. And and that in this region can be hit and miss. You can have some great clients, and you have some really bad ones, and you have some really really lousy clients. Yeah, yeah. And again, the challenge often with agency is trying to to manage um, yeah. these people that you're working with. You know, especially when yeah. they're paying you money, and you will always have one who will demand all of your time, despite and the pay fact the that least paying, amount of money. Yeah, always, peanuts. it's always that small uh, client that has a one percent agency fee that's calling you Friday nights. You know, ten p.m. Hey, I need this. Yeah, and you're like, dude, like, you know, your agency fee doesn't pay like my gas. Yeah, for the car it doesn't pay. It doesn't pay that. You know, there's nothing. And gas is Saudi's very cheap. And gas is very cheap. Well. Exactly. <laughs> That's so that's so interesting you said that. For me, I want to get your thoughts on this. I always thought that this, for me, especially when it comes to client relationships, it always for me is when I was agency and I would, and I would feel that it really comes down to the, the account director to really mitigate client relationships. Like, for example, I always thought, I feel that agencies were always so desperate for clients that will just bend over backwards, especially these days. when like, Those days might be different because times were good. Now when times are bad, it's like clients, agency will do anything. Yeah. And sometimes you should, you, sometimes, it's, sometimes you should say no. And sometimes it's important to say no to just to, just to you know make your team happy, right? So it's not always just making a client; you gotta make your team happy. I remember sometimes we'd be working what 14, 15 hour days, and I'd be like, "Why am I doing this?" When I know if I submit it tomorrow, the client's not gonna look at it till next week. For kind of thing, like, why doesn't my director step up? I mean, you know, you have to, sometimes you, the director has to be like, "Hey, listen, you're gonna get it. this, this, and this. We have SLAs in place because our SLAs are always ignored, right? They're always ignored. By the mm-hmm. way, SLAs are service. Uh, what was it? Service level agreements. Yeah." Basically, basically, is it, you know what, you'll get a brief, I'll g- you give me 72 hours kind of thing. It's an agreement of time, and it's always ignored. Was it the same t- Look, during your how, times? How many times do you get a full brief, for example? A, 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 a full brief, like a proper brief? Yeah. Never. It's yeah. always like half a brief, or something's wrong with it, or yeah. missing, and then you, and you end up doing half the job. It's just, yeah. Well, you know, in, in the best thing in comms <laughs> is when you get literally a line. Somebody sends yeah. you a line, and they say, look, we want this to be turned into... Uh, an op-ed or a press <laughs> release or something else. And, you know, I, I actually think the industry would be a lot healthier if more agencies, marketing, creative, comms agencies would turn around and say that we don't want to do this yeah. in terms of pitching or it's just not worth our while. Yeah. I think in terms of readdressing the balance, yeah. um, I think also sometimes clients need to be told this is... No, there's a better way of doing oh, completely things agree. Than, completely agree. than are being done now. I completely agree. You know what's so, so interesting? I'm reminiscing now. When you first start on media specifically, I remember you think that your clients have all the answers and you think that suppliers like Google and Facebook have all the answers and you're just a slowly employee trying to put everything together, first job. And then like a few months in and a few years in, you realize, man, no one knows anything. Everyone's just the same as me. They're just trying to get through the day. They don't know anything. Especially when you go client side, you see how much they struggle as well. You're like, oh, and we're all the same. No one has the answers. There's no omnipotent being over here. Because you know, you know what I mean? Like, like I used to think that oh, Google, they have all the answers. If I talk to my Google rep, he should have all the answers. My Google rep knows nothing. He's just trying to get to 6 p.m. and check out. <laughs> it's, it, look, it's really difficult trying to get your hands on good data. Oh, yeah. Trying to get your, your hands on good insights as yeah. well. 
Um, they're, they're the foundations of yeah. creating great campaigns yeah, which cut through. And trying to get your hands on this stuff is increasingly yep, difficult. Um, becoming not as difficult. You know, if you're looking at a small market or even if you're looking at a yeah. market like Saudi, trying to get your hands on good, reliable data. Oh, you know, man, if, it's if you impossible. do that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's literally you found your, your diamond. It's impossible. I literally, I was on a panel just this year, or Oracle Open World, where it was me and, and a few other agency people, and I was client-side, and I was telling them, guys, you understand that first-party data is treasure, third-party data is a wasteland. Let's focus on treasure. And no one cares about data anymore. I feel like, like there's so many data science, so many data engineers, all this. But with client-side, or actually usability of data, very few people are doing it, especially first-party data, yeah. which is the most valuable, most important, most useful piece of data out there. Right, third-party data is trash. Mm. It's absolute trash. All that you can do with third-party data is try to make that into first-party. Yeah, that's all you're trying to do in the end, right? Yeah. So when you do media buying, that impression is third-party. You're trying to get them to the website, mm. convert them to a first-party cookie, or get them to fill in some forms to get that email address. But no, no one uses first-party data. I don't know if that was when, during agency times. In my times, there was never first-party data. Now I'm client side. I care about it because mm. I knew before no one cared about it. So I'm trying to use it. But I think that that's what I call the data trap, and that people yeah. don't get the value of good first-party oh, data. So important. Um, it can, it can make or break. It could it could actually like make you sell more or make you sell less if you're wrong. It's so important if you want to take it at that level. And and that's what I've um, I've seen a lot on the on the CPG side. Yeah. Now, companies who work in CPG they understand the importance of good data. This is why Do they? they've got okay. big research teams respect um in-house okay and not just seeing what people are doing for example online but also as well seeing what they're doing on offline. ground yeah so they're, they're bringing everything together the game is connecting create, the two yeah that's they're, the game they're, 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 because look what people say and what people do are often not the same no um so trying to merge those two viewpoints and create profiles which actually fit yep. a real person uh, makes all the difference and yeah. that again that's your basis yeah. of creating campaigns yeah but we just don't do that either. no we don't we don't we especially when you go agency agencies only care about third party that's what that's where the money is the money's in third party the money's not in first party the first party's already there there's no money there i can't do any media buying that it's already there i gotta do money on the third uh, media buying on the third party and then clients don't understand that as well, so it's it's a, it's a it's a two sides of the same coin, right? It's it's the clients are not understanding the use of data, and agencies don't want to go into first party data because they're too focused on third party. And the problem is, you will sell the if you ever run a campaign, whoever's listening, right? If you ever run a campaign and you use first party data and you use third party data, I guarantee that ninety something percent of the time, first party will outperform. That's that, that's what I've yeah. seen. Yeah. Right, because because that's data that was given willingly, it was getting freely with a level of interest. Yeah for the need to sell at some point, right? And it's for me, what's especially frustrating for the last two years, especially ever since I came client side. And I really, so I was agency, so I was only focused on third party. And even the articles, I, it's so interesting to read the articles I wrote back then was very third party centric. Mm -hmm. Now I'm eight mm -hmm. client side, and I see the importance of first party and though I could do it first party. Now I've completely shifted my, my, my outlook on it. And now everything I'm trying to do is trying to get that first party. Even, even, if you, even if you have a website that doesn't need a form to fill in, like real estate or automotive, find a way to collect first party. You can do so much. And you can perform so much better than we can do with third party. The, the way I put it is, look, if you are part of first party data as, yeah. as a recipient, 
what you receive is interesting, it's entertaining, it's useful. Yes. What I receive is third-party spam. 100%. And 99% of what I receive is third-party, so it's spam. Uh, for sure. And 1%, even from the the brands which know better. Yeah. Um, you know, the 1% I receive is brilliant. But out of the one percent that you receive, that's first party. How many? What percentage of that actually personalizes, speaks to you, knows your interests, and is directly relatable to you as a person? See that that gets a, that gets even more. The number gets smaller. Yeah, but you know, when I do receive it, look, you appreciate I, it. I click through. Yes. I spend time on yes. the site. Yes. Um, I will browse the site. Yes. And I will probably go and make a purchase yes. if not now then probably in a week yeah. or two weeks time yeah um and i will also be more than happy in terms of sharing additional data oh definitely I, i'm actually more inclined to, wait to give feedback if you do that like i think it only happened a handful of times probably in my lifetime where i received a piece of communication that was so personal to me that this i felt the company understood me it's not that they just it's not like they, they took my cart and then retargeted it with me or like amazon or Sook or whatever they actually understood where I am in my journey, understood what I was interested in, and gave me something that added value to me in terms of either a discount or a piece of information or maybe an outlook on something where I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And when they sent me a survey, I filled it out, for yeah. example. And though, but that happened, I could count on my, maybe like maybe less than 10 times yeah. in maybe eight years, which is really sad, which is very, very sad in my viewpoint. So while we're on this topic, what do you think about email and SMS as a form of communication? I like email. Okay. I actually think email is um, underrated. Okay. Thank you. Um, in terms of its impact and also as well its cost. Yes. When it's done really well, it can be not just a driver of interest in the brand and products, but also a driver of sales. Huge driver of sales. Massive. But it is done really poorly. 99% wrong. Um, it's not customized. Nope. It's not. It's not linked into a decent CRM. Nope. So again, you've got no visibility as to 100%. what the person has done before, what their interests are, etc. Yes, yes. So there is a huge opportunity to do much more on email. Much more. What about SMS? SMS, you know, the thing is with SMS, look, it can be really, really powerful. Yes. But essentially, all the SMSs I get are just are, spam. I, <laughs> oh my! Oh, okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm so happy you said this. I'm not even gonna be sh uh, scared to say this because I've talked about it. Dubai TV. Once sent me twelve. Sent me six SMSs in a row. After I opted out, I sent stop. I got five in a row. I got. I opted out, and I got five in a row, and I got a total of eight within a span of ten minutes. To the point is where I screenshot them all. Yeah. Posted on Twitter, posted on Facebook, posted on LinkedIn, tagging them. They never got back to me. But now I just now, I still get it till today. Till today, I still get it. This is, this is three and a half years ago. I still get it today to the point now I put it on Do Not Disturb on there. So now I don't even see it. Here you go. Look, I've opened Sorry. up mine. All right. And every SMS I get, almost every SMS I get yeah. is, is marketing. With the exception of the SMSs I get from my bank and from Sadik. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those are the ones you look at just because you don't want to get fined and you need to know how much is in your account. Yeah. Yeah.
so interesting. I am in, I am in the exact same place where, as you are. Again, so interesting when when I even look at my own self and the way I've changed my mentality. It's very interesting. When in your agency, you you, you you all you know is that ever since I got to media, I've heard the email SMS are, are useless. They're not good. And every time I would do email SMS, mm-hmm. I would go through a third party vendor, which is I realized too, I realized like the last couple of years that was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. You're basically going to a vendor who will sell you a list and do the action for you to people that might have never even heard of you, don't even know what your product is, never even willingly gave to you, and why you're doing it because the vendor says there's targeting. Yeah. Right? Do you know, there's no targeting. Do you know where where the vendor gets his list? Every time you go to a restaurant, every time you fill in that feedback, you think think the restaurant uh, uses that for themselves, they sell it. They sell it. Oh, look, the biggest ones are the telcos. Yes. You can go and buy whatever you want. Oh, yeah, you you can definitely buy anything. It can be a long process, but you'll get, yeah, third party data. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. And the problem is because we don't like our telcos. Whatever we uh, we get essentially sold through the telco information is uh, is something which um, you know we will immediately discount. Because oh, definitely. We, we just definitely. not interested. Yeah. But what I'm also seeing as well, what I think is really interesting is how um, a lot of smaller brands, basically a lot of shops, are using dark social. So they they're using um, the the chat yeah. um, apps I, I, and and that's that's I, interesting. I look. I really actually want to talk about dark social. So I'm actually going to write a, a note so I don't forget it because I don't I don't want to veer off the topic we're on right now because I'd love mm. to talk about that. Dark social is super interesting. So I really want to talk about that. But before we get to that, so when I came to client side, the first yep. thing I said is so I we started looking to automation softwares, right? Like whatever, some yep. more Oracle, Salesforce, whatever product out there. I'm like, oh, why are we doing that? Emails, emails useless. That's been useless. But I started researching. I started looking into it. I started looking at actual good cases and people out there are using it correctly. I'm like, oh my God, I've been using it wrong all my life. This is not the way to do it. So I, I think now the proper way to do email and, and SMS is one, you need, like you said, you need to tie back to a CRM. Yeah. A proper integration. Meaning, for example, you go into a store, you make an inquiry, someone puts in the information that has to be put in correctly, spelled correctly, mm. right. They know your gender because they met you and right, they put all the information correctly and that triggers a journey or an automated piece of information, an email SMS that was catered to you because you gave me something. When you yep. walk, when you when you go to a real estate website and you fill in for that piece of property and you give me your name, your phone number, your email, your gender, your interest, you've given me something very valuable. Yeah. And if my CRM speaks to my automation software or what a marketing software that basically triggers an email that's catered to what you gave me, that's gold. Mm. Right, but that I feel that. Oh, but I think that's the potential is massive, but getting there is so difficult, and that's something that I'm currently facing. Right, because one, you have data input, which sometimes is manual, and that means you have to trust humans, and humans make errors. True. Yeah. So what do you do then? So one one of my um, roles almost feels like a former life, but one thing I yeah. did at Dubai World Trade Center was look at the CRM. Okay. Piece, Interesting. Uh, and also digital and. You know, the the best marketers get first of all the need to collect data directly. Yeah. But also as well, they understand that it must be done in a way which is as simple and <coughs> unobtrusive as possible. Yes. So gradually collecting data mm-hmm. every time or every other time that person visits your owned Yes. media or even you know, possibly social because again the, the yeah, but the person today. who collects it has to understand what what information was collected before and what information is collected now 
And I think, again, you when the second, I, every time I, I bring in human interaction to it, the margin of error just compounds, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's the problem. So what do you do then? What, do you, what, would you, what would you do or what have you done in the past to eliminate any kind of your, or at least mitigate human error in terms of spelling mistakes, wrong piece of information, na at gmail.com, test at test.com. These mm-hmm. are things you have to eliminate or it's going to hurt all your communication, yeah. right? Part, part of it is is testing. Part of it is is confirmation. Um, the, there are little ways of, of trying to verify as much as possible yeah. your information. Again, anybody who works with data in marketing knows that you will never have 100%. 100% because like, things change. People will change their mobile. They'll change their email. They'll change their jobs. And in and this, cases, they change their names. And they, some cases, <laughs> they change their names. It's not so. It's not so easy here. Yeah. Um, but in other markets, it is. And you will always have a margin of error, and and that's, that's what you simply have to uh, accept. Yeah. But, there's there's an accepted margin of error, mm. but then there's an unaccepted margin of error. Look, if you if you have a good data set, which yeah. is, you know, you're looking at sort of even 60 percent yeah. correct data, that's something still you can work with. Yeah, you know, could, if you if you're looking, you know, if you buy third party and you, you know, you're sending out an email and you're getting you know, however many bounce backs, yeah. which is double digit, then there's something really, really wrong, really wrong, really wrong. Yes, 100%. Um, but what also I I found um, really interesting was looking at some of the um, the engagements through social media, which were not common. It's actually probably aren't common. Okay, give me one example. LinkedIn is probably my favorite social media platform in terms of engagement. Same. Uh, especially tools like InMail mm-hmm. because you can personalize them. You can use uh, filters. You can really go granular on yes. LinkedIn, which you can't do on some of the platforms. You can, you, maybe you can do it on Facebook, but in terms of B2B, LinkedIn is a great platform. And I actually think they haven't done it justice in terms of marketing all that you can do on LinkedIn. Mm. So... There are different ways you can combine these data sets to create something which is really, really rich. But I go, I go, it's just yeah. not done enough. I go back and forth on InMail because sometimes you get InMails that are relatable mm. and sometimes you get InMails that are not. Yeah. Right? Because in the end, InMail is almost like a cold call. Mm. Right? Even though, yes, it is part of a professional network and hopefully you'll be targeted for professional kind of ads. It, but the person who targeted you might not necessarily have gotten your information from you. So... How, how do you use LinkedIn in mail properly then? Uh, look, it's tricky. First, first of all, a lot of the emails I get are still people sharing CVs. <laughs> or yes. not, not, they're not emails, they're just simply spam mails. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I do, what I would suggest in terms of sending an email is, you know, first you do your, your filtering the correct way. For sure. Um, you know, have a really clear call to action. And you know, with the filtering, you can you can get to a level of data whereby you know if you've got a clear call to action and you know the the purchase is of a high enough value that you will see mm-hmm. um, or you will be able to develop a strong campaign where you'll see a decent ROI. Give okay. an example: I've seen some really good car campaigns okay. via LinkedIn. I have not. <laughs> um, really, really simple. You know, easy ones. You know, I've I've seen some campaigns by some of the local dealers, basically yeah. saying, "Look, come in, uh, have a test drive." Yeah. And and I know they've talked to me based on my position, how many years I've worked yes. in the industry, um, 
you can try and work out the age as well, my education. Work out your income level so yeah. you know what kind of car yeah. range you want. Yeah, I'm like for me, automotive and real estate are two industries I feel that need to do it better. And they have they have so much potential to do it better. Automotive is fifty fifty. Okay. I think when they you know, when you get the global guys working with the distributors because a lot of what is done is basically done through the de- the, the dealers yes. and it's not done by, yes. by the brands themselves but once you get the two of them working together you can get some really interesting campaigns which which have you know, a decent ROI but, with, you know with what, real uh, estate zero, zero. my problem with automotive even when I was agency side I worked on automotive accounts I worked on dealer and I worked on OEMs right there was one thing that I feel they, do, they don't work together mm. Very few cases. In some cases, you might have a, the same agency handles both, but then those two teams in the agency don't speak to each other. There's always we have such a problem. I don't know if it's because uh, I've only worked in Dubai, so I don't know if it's a if it's a regional problem or a global problem. But we love to silo ourselves here. Everything is siloed, right? Dealer doesn't talk to, doesn't talk mm-hmm. to OEM. Digital doesn't talk to comms. Comms doesn't talk to PR. PR doesn't talk to social. So doesn't talk to creative. And everyone's just siloed, yeah. and we're like double counting every single time. We're like we're doing double the work. Instead, of, if we just speak to each other, for example, logically for me, if I would, ha- if I was handling both a, or if I don't, if I was, if I had uh, an OEM, yeah. right? So the brand and I have the dealer, right? A lot of cases what you're seeing is you'll find the brand is doing conversion campaigns and the dealer's doing conversion campaigns and you're not excluding each other's audience. So the same impression, that same ad is going to that same person from two different sources. Sometimes you'll see it. Sometimes you open a website and you'll mm. see two car ads, the same car, just different little logo. One says Middle East and other says dealer, right? And I'm like, what? What is so wrong? Why are you guys doing it like that? Why, is it, why can't we just make it simpler? The dealer usually has less budget. The manufacturer has more budget on a usual case, yep. right? Now, the now it's smarter for the dealer instead of doing the whole subset of the entire population to use a smaller subset right how you do that by retargeting what are you going to retarget retarget off your manufacturer let the manufacturer do the heavy lifting let them do that awareness let them put the impressions out there and you and their job is to drive to first party cookie data nothing else forget the form for everything a first party cookie data and you as a dealer then use it now instead of targeting 10 million people you just got to target 1 million now make your now make your money more effective. Mm. Target them with a tactical campaign, and now you have a ch- higher chance of, of getting the sale. And and the manufacturer wants you to sell more because then he can sell you more cars. Of course, so I would do it, but I don't see it happening. It's very frustrating for me, for in a, in the digital world to see such like you know simple mistakes happening over and over and over again. I get to see it. I, I see. I do see a lot of good work being done um, outside of the UAE. Yes. So, say Saudi. Okay. Um, I worked with a couple of car brands, and also as well, I know quite a few people work in the manufacturing side, the OEM mm-hmm. side. Um, what I often feel is, you know, because look, because it's a different culture, it's a different experience. They will be more respectful, and there'll be more of a dialogue between them mm-hmm. on the brand side and the dealer side. Yeah, and. Now, the dealer will want to hear ideas and the brand person will say, tell me about your market. What's going mm. on? You know, What is interesting? How can we yeah. help you? I think often the challenge in UAE is we basically, we live um, same place. We're, we, you know, we're on each other's toes yeah. or knees, whatever you want to call it. So we're all seeing the same thing and often it's a case of, okay, but 
you know, I, I know my market better. No, I know my market better. Yeah. So there's a little bit more of a clash. Yeah. Whereas as soon as you step outside of Dubai or the UAE, you know, there there is more of a, an opportunity just to listen. That's cool. Um, you know, have have a conversation and and just just try and find a middle ground where both will benefit. Yeah. From whatever they have, be it experience, be it budget, be it know-how. Yeah. Um, and I saw this a lot with um, some of the campaigns last year in Saudi when they, they changed um, the rules regarding women driving. Okay. Yeah. I saw a lot of the the dealers saying to the big brands, look, this is coming up. This is what we want to do. I saw some of the usual mistakes being made. You know, mm. let's go and sell them pink Cadillacs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I saw some other brands doing really, really good work. I saw some good ads in Saudi. I really saw some good ads in Saudi from here. And it was interesting. Mm. It's just, I just, for me, it's just, I always want us to get rid of this. Like, so you work, you work at comms, right? And you work in agencies. Don't you always feel that no one talks to anyone? Like so when, I was in, when I worked in agencies, right? I was digital. We would have a creative agency. We'd have a, so, a social agency. Yep. We'd have a PR agency. Not anyone speaks to each other. As so as you get into the meeting, everyone's trying to up the other person. And then now, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, when I, when I look back with some hindsight, I go, man, there was so great opportunity to do so much stuff. Because PR, and this is something I've been recently learning about PR. So when you look, when you go into agency, you learn about PR, it's press release. Yeah. It's a press release. And it's so much more than a press release. Yeah, but look, we have, well, first of all, the industry hasn't done itself much favors True. in terms of educating everybody else yes. as to what PR is. I know a lot of people in yes. PR who say, look, my, my mom and my dad don't know what I do. Um, and you're not the first person to say that. So you, uh, I've had a couple of PR people on, and they also stress that. that again, the industry yeah. as well hasn't helped the case. It hasn't helped the case, and also as well, you often have this fight in terms of budget. Who yes. gets what? Yes, um, for sure. Digital social made it also much more complex. You know, before mm. you look, it was simply above the line. It was below the line. That was it. Yeah. And then digital social came along, and then you had. Everybody wanted to claim the space, you know, the, the creatives, you had the um, the media buying units, you had, you know, the digital standalone agencies, yes. you even had the social media agencies, SEO agency, you know, agency. you know, then you have the influencer agencies, <laughs> so many and agencies. it's like, you know, guys, how many agencies can we fit? It's almost like how many agencies do you need to change a light bulb? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, look... It, it's obvious. Yeah. The more the more integration we have, or the more people talking to talking with each other rather than yes. to each other, works better. Um, the more impact you're going to get in terms yes. of both the idea and also then the spending. Because even we haven't even mentioned the research agencies. Yes. You know, we we just don't spend enough on research and measurement. I have a whole problem with research. Like are you talking about like Ipsos and Nielsen? And anybody who works in research, you know, okay. it doesn't even need to be. No, the 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 research yeah. guys themselves. You know, it could be you're know, looking at academic research. We, yes, we, that that is an area of, of like no one's even looked at. Yeah, up. we we just we just don't think about it. But in in terms of comms, what I often find is the comms person or the the agency is approached after the idea has been baked. Yes, and it's it's not great because you you no. know you'll you'll come in and they'll say that we want to do this, and the first thing you'll think is first of all. Will it work? And then the second is, okay, did you think about this? And by the time it's they've already it. laid out it's what it. they, they want their plan to it's be it. and they've already put in the budgets. Yeah. And and yeah, I, I often find because we don't have sort of an integrated approach to, to marketing and communications That's from the, the get-go. That's the problem, from the get-go, from conception. We, 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 we miss out 
not only so ways much. to make more of an impact, but also as well ways to to make more of an impact without spending the money. Yes, one hundred percent. There's so much waste. So I was thinking about it. I was literally. Um, I had a, I had uh, Loredana shout out. We were talking about this. Also had um, uh, Cheryl King, uh, MD at Marketeers, were also speaking about this. Is that it never made sense to me because PR these days is not a press release. PR actually does a great job of putting out content everywhere. This is organic content in form of whatever it is, be it, be it, be it what, video, audio, um, written. There's content out there. Now it's on websites. These websites get millions of visitors and they generate millions of impressions. Do you know what digital does with those impressions? Nothing. We, we, it's so much wastage. It's so much wastage. What if, for example, fine, my PR agency puts out articles about my product or whatever on all major websites in the UAE, in the UAE right? We're talking about the Schwerer groups, the DMSs, uh, the, all the big ones, right? All the, the, the Diwani ones, all the huge publishers out there, the ITPs, wherever, it's everywhere. Yeah. Cool. Now, millions of, millions of impressions are going to be generated. Now, if I was digital, I would be smart and be like, all right, cool. I'm going to put an impression tracker on this. Just a little code. Most suppliers let you put it. You put it there. The people that come to the website, now you can retarget them. Hey, instead of trying to do that and pay money for it, you've just saved a ton of money. You saved a ton of money. And you know what? Now you have uh, now you have websites out there with a backlink to your website. Do you know what that affects? Your SEO. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Your SEO got better. Do SEO agents look at that? No. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like it's it's so it's so bizarre and so frustrating the amount of wastage, the amount of wasted impressions, the amount of wasted CPM. It's just all very frustrating. I'm like, if we, if we just think a little bit, you can save money, you can be more effective. And even in a market as bad as this, I'm pretty sure you could sell more with Look, the proper usage. Because first of all, you know, if you combine everything together, you're not only targeting the right bunch of people, you're yeah. actually targeting people who are interested. Because they organically came. You, yeah, they organically came. That's the products. most important. This, this is the whole point. But, yes. You know, it's, it's a hard one to, to pin down. It um, is. Communicators and you know even you know I I'm sometimes okay I did computation but you know I I need to do my Google Analytics uh, for example we 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 don't do enough when it comes to educating ourselves yes on the digital piece 100%. on the measurement piece on the analytical piece so we've all got to do a better job of yes. understanding what everybody else does 100%. and then looking at how we can leverage yeah. and how we can work together 100%. so you know if we are doing a push in terms of putting out new information um especially online how can we work with the guys on the not so much the ad side maybe but yeah. more on on the seo side how yes. can we work with the guys who are looking after the social media piece how can we look work with the guys who are taking care of the website and making sure that everything is is prepped and ready on your homepage yep. in terms of the new product that you are pushing out into the media. Now, the number of times I see a press release going out or a campaign, and I'll go and visit their own their owned media, yeah. their website, and I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to find information Nothing. about their products. And, and I'm thinking, guys, did you not talk to each other? Did you not the, know the, the SEO not have to this? You know. and, and, you know, prepare for it. 100%. Doesn't That's happen. very, very true. Very, very true. Cool. Let's jump in now because I took the note. What, let's talk about dark social. Mm. What is dark social? Define it. So dark social is it's not the scary, or maybe it's a scary part. It's like the, the dark web. So. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the scary the part of the online world. So basically dark social is any um, 
first of all, it's not it's not so much a social media platform because yeah. people often get confused by this. It's really any app um, or any medium where you have a two way or multiple way conversation, which is not seen from the outside. So it's non public. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's often encrypted. So you look at Telegram. Yes. I know people talk about WhatsApp. This still is encryption on WhatsApp. Yeah. And it is increasingly being used um, as a means to talk yes. um, amongst people, friends, family, mm-hmm. um, but even even brands as well. And this is what I, I find really interesting. I know Facebook keeps saying about you know, WhatsApp for business, but this has been going on for years. Yep. You know, if you look, for example, um, or when somebody goes into maybe a Sephora mm-hmm. or a Faces, what they will often do is they will go to the, the beauty technician, as we, we like to call them, the yeah. beauty person, and they will say, look, can you give me your number? Because what I want to do is chat with you on WhatsApp. And I saw this with a couple of our brands, because um, we, we had quite to what a end? few... Chat like for like tips or something? Yeah. Okay. So basically what the, the consumer would do, the lady would go in, she would take the, the number of you know, the, the beauty advisor, and what they would end up doing, she would go back home and she would say, look, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is where I'm going to. This is what I'm going to be wearing. Mm. What do you advise me to go and buy? And that's what I find really have, we worked, have we worked with brands that, that happen? Yeah. Very we, we had quite a few brands in P&G which were beauty brands. Okay. And like so, it's very common. So, obviously, I, I don't know. It's not, so it's not my background. I've seen this. We, we learned this. We just learned this wow. through... Um, I didn't know that at all. You know, through being, being told about it by, by our retailers. And like how common? Like how? Like it's very common. It, it's it, in certain areas where okay. you need advice. It is really wow, so very very common. And even you know, even on you know platforms like Dubizzle, yeah. you know, when you put an ad on, yes, now you're more likely to be contacted via WhatsApp yes. than not. And I think the opportunity in terms of dark social is is huge. Again, when it's done right. So when the yeah. customer starts the conversation rather than you spamming them. Yes. Which is also what often happens with dog social. Yes. But when the customer comes in and says, look, I need your help in terms of finding what I really want. Okay. And because it's private, yeah. you can use, um, obviously, voice. It'd be great if you can make WhatsApp calls, but that's yeah, a separate, separate conversation. Separate. But also the ability to, to share uh, video, share visuals, and also as well location that location yes. killer that well, is you, it's a huge so difference especially when you're looking at e-commerce yes that's so interesting because i work in automotive and the, one of the things you realize is that all salespeople have all their customers on whatsapp and they talk mm. and now now your salespeople have very valuable whatsapp lists yeah first party whatsapp lists how valuable is that information? Yeah. That's a phone number giving willingly from the customer to the salesperson. They talk, they share pictures, they share videos, they, they do voice notes. And whenever there's new car, a salesman on their own, they're sending brochures, they're sending pictures, exclusive pictures sometimes you see. And it's just fascinating. For me, it always comes down to how do you track it? Outside of WhatsApp for business, how do you, you, you can't. You can't. And this this is a challenge. And So how do you do quality assurance? You know, even, even you, look, you go beyond that. If you, know, if you look at Europe, because of GDPR, you're actually not supposed to be using yeah. these because you can't store the data. This is this is a big challenge with mm. with dark social. You know, I can I can download it, but it's it's on my phone. This yeah. is still the issue. Um, 
but one what is also interesting with dark social and this is i think where the, the big opportunity is i don't think as marketers we are focusing enough on creating content mm-hmm. for dark social which can be used by all of our people by our salespeople. i don't like think made for that platform yeah, yes made made for the platform so easily visible on the phone easily shareable mm-hmm. you know it's it's big but it's not too big that it's you know it's going to take you you know however many minutes to download yeah. you can't even you know if it's look it's too big you can't even send it by dark social yeah. which is uh, which is also the issue so there, there are many uh, opportunities for me um That's in really terms of using dark social and and i even throw something else in um i know it's not dark social but i think new apps like TikTok are also another big opportunity. Yes. That that's more sort of mass, but dark social then sort of mm. focuses it and, and makes it a one to one or one to few conversation. But then how would you make that content available to your salespeople when you have a hundred t- teams strong of, of salespeople and all of them are talking to their customers on WhatsApp and now you want to create content? How do you even share that? That's that's something well, I've thought about as well. One one is you know, the the group chat option. You know, having one channel on there where you can basically mm. use it mm-hmm. to um, to share data, to share content, um, and also as well to to troubleshoot. So, look, if if one customer is asking you for something, I I can guarantee you there'll be other customers doing the for same sure. Thing. So for again, sure. sharing sharing those experiences, and then finding finding solutions. So if one mm. customer is asking something specific, sales guy saying, but you know, this guy's asking maybe somebody from your side, one of your customers may ask you the same thing. So this is the question I've got for, say, the marketing guy. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I create for that person? Interesting. And how do I do it? And I think, you know, looking at, right, this is not going to be for somebody buying detergent, but if you are in, say, marketing... Why not, a, though? Well, if, you, if, you're, if, marketing, you can, look, if yeah. you're marketing, say, um, cars, if you're marketing even uh, beauty products, something which is... Um, specific for one individual. This is this is why it's a bit more difficult with things like detergents because again, you buy it off the shelf, some bang it in, and then you're done. But, but if what, it's beauty, but what then about it is something which what, is unique uh, to you and your skin color, whatever true. you want to do with it. But what about, for example, detergents? Right, you have like, for example, Finish the brand. It's a brand I used to work on. What if, for example, you had a dedicated WhatsApp for any issues with your washing machine? This is actually what I see a lot in Asia. Interesting. So small businesses. Um, I've, you know, I I ordered um, a bunch of flowers for a colleague in uh, in Malaysia, and straight away the the florist was was on to me on WhatsApp, saying, "Look, what do you want? Which arrangement? This is the cost, and you're done." And you know, if you look in Asia, say if you look at the the Chinese dark mm. social apps you know you can do so much more you know you pay like WeChat, over uh, WeChat's you amazing man you know all of these things that you can do that you can't yet do yet do with the likes of mm. whatsapp but yeah you know, the the opportunities are unlimited I, I can i see so much potential but at the same time i also see so much risk right what if that person gives the wrong information what if that what if that beauty person is there something that actually creates blotches on a person's skin and that's just to go to the doctor what do you do then? Now there's there's a risk there. What do you do to mitigate risk? Well, this this is the thing. So, first of all, as marketers, as communicators, we've got to understand how many people are using this, mm. both on the customer side and also our side. If there are enough, you know, if there's a big enough mass, then we've got to step in and say, look, guys, we want to help you. We want to give you 
the right content, first mm-hmm. of all. We also as well want to give you training in terms of how you use 100%, WhatsApp. Right? 100%. So look, this is when you message, this is when you don't message. How do you train on WhatsApp? Like, there's no one, there's no companies out there to train, do they? Well, it's kind of got to do it, yourself. It's, it's all about, first of all, it's all about the content. You know, So yes, it's creating con- content snackable first. content, yes. which people can watch at their leisure, but you know they watched it. And you also as well get feedback via the dark, dark uh, social apps. So, you know, if somebody is telling you something and you've got maybe three salespeople telling you the same thing, yeah. then you realize yeah. you've got to start creating content or courses yeah. for that particular issue. So, but the, I think the most important thing in terms of dark social is realizing it's being used. Okay, how is it being used and how can you add value to your sales force or your people? Um, and then how can you turn it into an effective channel in terms of engagement? Yeah. Even in terms of customer issues, actually having um, a WhatsApp number whereby people can message you, saying, this is the issue. How can I solve it? Because again, people often people don't want to call up. Mm. You know, they, they don't. They want something nice and easy. Yeah. They could, they've got a specific number which they can message and they try and you know, you just basically solve the issue there and then. Interesting. Yeah, you, just made, you got me thinking, honestly. There's so much huge potential let's say like let's say let's say so for, okay, let's four because that's easy imagine for example you exchange numbers with your you know your your beauty expert and then every date night every friday night she drops you like a nice little whatsapp hey if you're going out tonight why don't you you know tr- try doing this with the product that she already sold yeah. you yeah try doing this it actually goes with this kind of color outfit whatever right that could be so much value given back to that customer so the potential is massive for me always think about is risk mitigation tracking of some sort yeah content obviously and just making sure it's just and there's like the ethical things right doing yeah. the right thing saying the right thing any kind of legal issues th- those are things that i think we'd, you'd have to probably like tackle first and obviously training would be enormous yeah. the amount of training you have to do is, is huge right but but think about the potential in oh terms the potential is massive say, um say the the one-to-one sales you know having somebody sharing with their customer base again one-to-one or maybe one to few there is an exclusive offer yeah go to the website use a specific code that's catered to you it's even your name yeah. for example yeah yeah 100%. and the ability again the challenge is often tracking you can't track through through dark social obviously but as soon as they get to the website and they put in that code mm. you've got them yeah and you know they came and because yeah. it's catered you know actually came from that salesperson yeah because you, you already, you know, very, very true. So interesting. Uh, there was a case study in automotive. I forgot what it was. Um, I forgot which country even where that, I think, I think it was somewhere in Europe where the salesperson sold a car to someone, but then made a viable choice to keep c- communicating with that person for five years. Mm. Just asking about him, not even talking about the car. Mm. Where and, and it happened over such a long period of time where the guy kept coming back and buying the car from that salesperson. And even when that salesperson changed companies, yep. that person changed brands yep. just to stay with that salesperson because that one-on-one, that person, they became friends. He knows everything about me. He knows about my family. He knows everything. That's so interesting, isn't it? And I feel it's very underutilized. Everybody has it. No one uses yeah, it. Yeah, look at this region. 90% plus. Everyone has it, yeah are on whatsapp everyone yeah it's all age ranges the the number of whatsapp messages i get from my wife's family it's just nuts <laughs> it's, it's the content they're sharing is scary but all languages as well yeah and the opportunity to engage is is limitless yes and it's 
I think it's it's the biggest opportunity we have today, and it's not made use of. Yes, hundred percent. It's so. I'll give you an example. It happened to me only a few weeks ago. So I order some stuff. Uh, sometimes DHL brings this. Sometimes Aramex. Sometimes Emirates Post. Right. Yeah. This guy from Aramex always messages me on WhatsApp because I always tell him, "Listen, I'm not in the house. Leave it in in the yeah. garage." Right. To the point is where it's it's become the same guy, and he already knows what to do. He dropped me a text like, "Hey, Sam, listen. Um, I left it in the garage just like we talked about." You need anything else? You want me to send you a picture? No, man. All good. And now I, I've stopped using DHL. I've stopped using Amherst Post. I only use Amherst because that guy just knows exactly what to do. It's the same guy. He knows exactly where to put the package. He knows exactly to take a picture so I, have, I feel comfortable. He knows everything. And that one time I was at home when he came. I remember it was a sick day. And he saw the car and he rang the doorbell. And it was the first time I met him. And it was like, it's like meeting a friend. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man. I've, I've, we've been talking for like months now. Thanks for everything. You've been great. To the point is where I actually called the company. Took his name and gave and told him this guy's awesome. Yeah, this guy's awesome because yeah. he's actually you know he came like it was it was like so so friendly and it was so like one on one so personal and now I only use Aramex for example. Yeah. The convenience right? is incredible. So right? I didn't have to explain it every time. You know how many times I have to explain? Hey, listen, there's a car, the lights plate. There's okay, there's a little garage. You know, even though it's like an extra fifteen seconds, but even that saving that yeah. makes me happier. The, the best thing is yeah. somebody saying, "Look, I'm here. I can help you." asking easily for things yeah. you know and you know for example with with um say the the banks actually i think the banks are missing a huge opportunity in terms of dark social but you know getting your details you know just getting your emirates id out taking a couple of pictures getting your passport out taking in a couple of pictures you know being able to share wherever you are even today you know sharing it live again it's just the convenience the yeah. ability to get things done at a moment's notice and We've all got data. We've all got smartphones. Let's make use of it. Yeah. This is actually why I think email is also unrated because we've all got emails on our yes. smartphones. 100%. But it's just not used. What do you do in countries where there's compliance issues and you can't store information? Or you can't store it. Like, for example, a salesperson taking someone's number, that's not compliant, right? Or does that, does that, does that fall? Is that like a, a shady gray line right now? Because technically it's a one on one. It's not a company, but it's someone who works for the company. It's, it's with GDPR, it's become. Um, there's still, I think, a lot of companies which have question marks as to, you know, how do they fully comply in terms mm -hmm. of data storage, in terms of who has access to the data, in terms of um, permission to use the data. And dark social is. It's really difficult. It is for companies to try and understand when it comes to compliance, because look, consumers want to be served. Yes, they they want you know a simple experience. Yes, they want somebody to deal with somebody who gets them, who knows what they want, um, who can give them what they want in the the easiest, most convenient way. And yet, you know, you've also got the the rules around what is being done with data, how it's being collected, privacy, etc. Mm -hmm. So trying to square those two things up, it's yeah. not always easy. But, but what, look, what, what customers do do want is not to be spammed. They, yes. they want for the data not to be misused. And I, I think that these things are pretty simple for us yes. to do as marketers. Yeah. What if there's like, imagine a WhatsApp where you don't get, you, you, we both have the same app. I'm just making this up, by the way. I wonder if this will be compliant, okay. right? Just out of curiosity, is let's say we both have the same app, uh, so I don't know your number, but then I scan something off your phone, so now which which basically is like a consent, yeah. But I still don't have your number. I have a hashed form of your number, and then we communicate. Would that be compliant? Should be right. 
I need to talk to my lawyer. <laughs> <and ask them. laughs> that would be interesting, though, right? That would be, yeah. So now you have really a, com- a, a, a conversation app that doesn't store any uh, PII information. Maybe, I don't know if the first name is PII. That would be compliant. There has to be some way to categorize that person in a hashed form that you still know it's that person. Yeah, that, it's would, comp- yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. I'm sure there'll be quite a few legal opinions for or against on that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, so what are you doing? By the way, uh, do you, have you done any content on Dark Social? Have you written any stuff that we can read? Because that's really interesting stuff. I, so I um, I wrote with one of my diplomas, I actually wrote about um, how to engage or how to deal with a crisis on Dark Social. Is it on your LinkedIn? Uh, it's probably is somewhere. I'll send you. Please. I'll send you a uh, a link to probably something I've written on it. Okay, which I'll cool. put on my either my website or my LinkedIn. Or all right, somewhere cool, else. cool, cool. Either way, uh, so in, in the in the podcast description, I can put like all the links you want. Yeah, put, I'll yeah. take it out. All right. Uh, so, what are you working on these days? A um, lot of things. Okay. I um, I really enjoy working with the sales and the marketing teams and creating uh, purpose driven campaigns. Okay. Um, I think that's not only what consumers want to see more of, yeah, but also an area which is. Again, another opportunity yeah. because we just don't do purpose campaigns in no. this region, and I, I don't, I really don't understand why we define do more define of a purpose campaign. So, um, a campaign which is tied to a big issue. Okay, um, and it does one or two like things. A CSR. So it does it, that fall in it, kind so of. So you know, it could be. You look at what say. Um, let me think of of a really good campaign. Um, I know that Nike's got a lot of flack for for how they treat women, but but Nike. There's the Colin Kaepernick one. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, Nike's uh, Nike's campaigns on Dream Big, for example. Mm. Um, there are other campaigns. Let me try and think of a, of a good one. Um, Can Uber did a great campaign in Brazil okay. about road safety. I haven't seen one. Okay. Um, it it's out. called Distracted Goalkeeper. Really no, idea. I have seen that one. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really good idea. Um, IKEA did a really good campaign, which I saw at Cannes, uh, which was called Disables, which was creating um, furniture which can be used easily uh, by people who have special needs mm-hmm. at no additional cost, which nice. was brilliant. Really, really simple yeah. idea. And so purpose campaigns do one of two things. Either they drive debate on an yeah. issue. So it could be um, what we've done, say, with Gillette, Okay. Um, on on toxic masculinity. masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guys all barbecuing. Yep, yep. Um, or it could be a campaign which drives action. Okay. Ideally, both. And what I find really strange in this region is there are certain issues which we can't talk about. We you know we know that it's okay. Um, yeah. But there are certain issues which we can do. Yes, governments sure. are pushing on. You know. Be it, for example, the environment. Yes. Be it on the issue of gender equality. Yes, empowerment women. That's really big right now. And Do yet, we, we, are, we are not doing anything here. Mm. And I, I just find it really weird. Why why brands in the region, especially local brands, are not stepping in and saying, we want to be part of this debate. Okay. And try and push Interesting. things forward. Like, when was the last time? I, I know, for example, Do has done some stuff when yes. it comes to public service. They did this one about the don't share your locations yeah. like that. That was yeah. that was pretty strong, I think. So they they've done quite a few um, around digital. So you know, be about people um, manipulating um, their their profiles yes. to try and essentially take advantage yes. uh, of you, and also as well sharing 
content responsibly, which yes. is also another issue. Yes, yes. But yes. otherwise, I, I really see so few yeah. uh, campaigns which are based on a, on a an idea which is more than just simply about selling a product. Are you trying to are you are you trying to work with your clients to do that more? So are you like pitching the idea? So what what I'm trying to do um, where I am is is come up with concepts which have an impact um, obviously the store level but, but tap into what consumers want to do on issues maybe around sustainability okay. and um, then you personalize it to your client and pitch it to the client and hopefully they'll sign off on it also with with me i'm on the client side so it, it's really about working with the retailers the retailers saying, yeah, yeah. saying to the retailers look this is what we want to do and this is what we also think um would be good for you because we know that you believe do you have to get this. global approval for the brand no, some of them no, okay you don't no, have to do we're, that we're you know, we um we operate pretty independently here oh, that's which, really is, interesting. which is good and we're, we're trying as well to do more local that's very cool relevant campaigns because again we can't just simply go and take something off the shelf in another market yeah because more often than not it's not going to work here we need no, to try not. and tailor concepts to to what 100 it's really cool how you guys get to actually want. you don't have to like have to get a, approval from global you get to do your own thing kind of thing you know what we what we try and do is first of all learn about other campaigns outside of the region if they worked yes if they haven't worked and are there any lessons that we can try and reapply here. Very cool. But also then sitting down with retailers and saying, look, what are your consumers telling you? Mm. You know, what are they interested in? What can we create which will have an impact as to not just simply the sales, but also as well what consumers are thinking about in okay. terms of their viewpoints, their behaviors. And it's look, first of all, it's not easy. No sorry. because with purpose campaigns Again, the call to action is often related to us supporting an initiative. Yes. And initiatives are often led by charities. And yes. first of all, there are not many charities no, there really isn't, is in there? the region. Which is very um, sad. It, it's, and it, it's, we, we still have this concept of philanthropy, of, you know, yeah. of, of handing out food parcels and food packs. Uh, it's, it's changing. There are more, for example, there are more environmental organizations out there yes 100 but trying to come up with a concept where it can fit into an existing project Mm -hmm. that's tough so you know i'll admit that 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 is not easy to do okay um so you have to you have to align with like the brand marketers right the brand managers and the sales and everything yeah so align it internally align it with the customer align it with the charity okay and then if you're if all of your stars align Mm. then you can Roll it out and make it work. That's very cool, man. Are you? Uh, how, how many have you done so far? Actually, have like worked out over the last few years. We, we've done. We've done probably over a dozen oh, wow. um, campaigns in the past few years. Have you guys like published these? Any case studies? Any so clients we, out there? We've done. Um, we actually we need to do more case studies, but we we did sure. a campaign uh, last year with um, with Math Careful, which was entitled "Leave Your Mark," and it was again tied into the year of Zide. It was all about. Um, the uh, the environmental piece when it comes to trees and tree planting. Yeah, okay. That's um, right. Simple, simple idea. Look, come in, support the campaign, and we pledge to plant essentially trees, yeah. plant as many trees as possible. Yeah. We we went out and we um, 
we ended up planting over 20,000 gaff seeds. That's we, awesome. We chose the gaff because it is indigenous yes. to the region. Yeah, and it's also drought resistant and yeah. everything. Yeah. My wife's a landscape architect, so I learned all these <laughs> things from her. And uh, that's really cool. Do you guys do any kind of like follow-up? Like here we are with today with those? Well, we, we're actually doing one at the moment, okay. which is uh, which is tied into the year of tolerance okay. in the UAE. And it's all about what we call the, the tolerance pledge. Okay. And it feeds in as well to, to our DNA, which is all about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. um, as a company. So for me, first of all, the campaign has got to be authentic. You can't simply go yeah. out on a limb and do something new without any, any track yeah. record or any history. Um, so what, what we're doing, what we've done with, again, this is with um, MAF, Majel for Tame yeah. Four. I don't think gonna tell me off because I've said math. It's Majel for Tame Carafour. Yeah, shout but, out. Yeah, it's okay. I'll, I'll get I'll get my my wrist <laughs> slapped. Um, but the the idea is we've gone in store, we've put up video booths, and we're getting consumers to take a really simple fifteen second pledge. Okay. Um, you know they pledge to respect different viewpoints, um, different beliefs, mm-hmm. um, essentially different areas uh, where you will maybe not have so much discord but you'll have a difference in in what people think yeah, and what yeah. they do that's cool and with that which also ties into your tolerance um we have the gap trees mm-hmm. so the seeds that we planted last year we'll be taking them in september october and actually planting the saplings awesome okay so really simple and it's it's taking a concept which is both um doable online as well as offline yeah for sure that's very very cool i like those kind of things do you sometimes find difficulties because obviously you you become like a mediator you kind of have to bring everyone together you gotta bring sales you gotta bring retailers you gotta bring uh, the digital department you gotta bring the people who work on offline the brand man you gotta bring everyone together and be like hey, here's the idea it's gonna cost some budget and it might not generate might not necessarily generate roi the, the objective is not roi here Right, it's, it's it's increasing awareness for that initiative. Do you ever get any kind of pushback? Is it oh, there's no budgets right now, and oh, we need to we're we're low on targets, or is that or is or you or is everyone's like ever? I mean, not in this job. I mean, previous yeah. positions, right? So, the, the, there's always a conversation about budget. We're all we're client side. That's it's a know, thing, right? We we want more budget. Or we want something else. You know, if you if you look especially um, online today with uh, with the world of social media, there's always an issue of how much money can we put in? Yeah. You know, how much do we put in in terms of organic? Yes. How do we? How much do we put in in terms of advertising? And and look, that's not easy. No. Um, social media influencers, especially in certain parts of the region, <laughs> they're not cheap. No, they are definitely yeah. not. Yeah, they're definitely not. And and again, it's it's often short term as well. So yes. There are, there are always debates to where we should spend the money. But you guys kind of have a fun beginning of the year. Be like, cool, we're going to keep this fun for all the philanthropic initiatives. Yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah. So, that makes life you know, easier. We'll, we'll, look, we'll always put something aside because what I, what I try and push for the most is actually giving budget to our charity partner to okay. actually make the concept happen because that that's what we really should be aiming for. For sure. And, you know, ideally what you should do in terms of purpose campaigns yeah. is you make them come to life over a medium to long term. It can't simply be a one-off. And this is where you see the best brands mm. taking the lead. They all do a campaign on the same subject year in, year out. They all have maybe a slightly different spin 
you know, it could be with Colin Kaepernick, one thing, and yeah. then looking at the issue of gender equality in sports, mm-hmm. that would be something else. But it's all about looking at the big picture and seeing how you can retell the story from yeah. a different angle through a different person. You know what? What you're doing, so you fall under corporate communication, right? You, it, yeah. What you're doing is very different than, I don't know if most or many of the corporate communication people I interacted with. Most of them, for example, is all just very brand about the holding company, about the company itself. It never is, or for example, oh yeah, today oh, it's Ramadan, we're going to give out some food. Yeah. So did, is this kind of was a direction that you brought with you? Was that your like kind of your thing or was that already kind of bred in the company or did you, you know, you came in and you kind of shaped it because you felt this is just the, the different, unique, right thing to do? It, it was it was a little bit of both. Okay. You know, it was part of the role when I came in. Okay. But it's also something that I really enjoy. Okay, cool. Um, working with the sales teams, coming up with new ideas, yeah. which they can then pitch into their, their retailers. Yeah. And what is also fun for me is not only seeing the impact in store, but also measuring the, the outcome. How do you measure, so, measure outcomes to so, people like who submit videos or 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 that's all or maybe doing donate it, to but, charity but or at the, the end of the day the, the biggest outcome we have is is on the sales piece. So yeah. what is the impact on the sales and and that really oh, wow. drives okay fine. So your that, objective that is not sales, but sometimes it comes like a halo effect of it. Or that's really what drives attention. That drives focus on what we can do. And you now this this is often the conversation I have with with people who work not so much in marketing but in communications. You know. The, the way that you're going to get more attention, uh, more trust, and more budget mm. is by proving yeah. what impact you are having on the organization. Reputation is really, really tough to do. It is. Because to try and do a reputation audit is a lot of money. It There's is. very few people who can do it. You know, you've got your Nielsen's and others. Yeah, yeah. But you're talking about a big chunk of cash. For sure. But actually looking at the sales piece, and this is when comms needs to work with digital, work with the SEO guys, other yeah. people as well. But this is when we can really prove our worth. Because if you look at now what consumers are asking for, they, they, wanna, they want more content which is tailored to them. They want to have people who can advise them. Yes. They, they, they don't care about seeing ads anymore. No, they don't. What they care also about is authenticity, especially with the new generation, Gen Z. All they care about is authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just adding more layers. And that will build your reputation all the way up, right? And it's interesting that you're actually seeing an impact on sales, even though the objective was never sales. Yeah. The objective was authentically to help this initiative. Yeah. But the halo effect now is increased sales. But even, you know, even the, the impact um, on, on reputation, say on a crisis, you know, building up mm. um, a following of, of people who will step in yeah. when something is happening to your brand and say, look, I trust this brand. I've been following for some time. I've been engaging with them. I support their causes. I support what they stand for. And I believe in them when they say something. Okay. So there are so many ways that you can try and measure your impact as a communicator. It's not easy. No size at all. But unless you start doing it, you will not increase. um, We always say take your seat at the table, but you will not increase the trust that people put in you in your organization. And also your budget as well. Very cool. Is there any initiatives that you're doing in your personal life? Like, because you seem a person who really enjoys this. Do you do anything else outside of the company? Um, or have you I, done in the past? Well, I look. First of all, I love my learning. Yes. It drives my wife absolutely nuts. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that when it comes to what we do, like with digital, we've got to keep investing in yeah. ourselves. 
because communications is an area which is constantly changing. Yeah. And unless we keep up to date with what is happening, we become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. So education is one big piece. Yeah, and it, sure. it doesn't need to be structured. It, it can be just simply picking up a book or, you know, or listening to a podcast or, yeah. or just doing something different. So that's one. I also try and do a lot of volunteering outside as well. Oh, cool. What kind of volunteer? Like, um, where do you volunteer? You know, it could be sitting on a board for an association. Okay. Or it could you be... You sit on a few boards, right? Yeah, I, I sit on a couple of boards. And again, look, requires time. For sure. But the amount of learning that I get out of that in terms of new ideas, in terms of engaging with people out some organization, which I, yeah. I really think is important. Getting oh, out of the office. Definitely, definitely. And just... Just observing. And these are not questions. paid, right? So this is they're, they're not. No, they're not paid. And you get invited, or you actually kind of pursued it. Um, Bit of both. First, first of all, it was me going out and saying, like, "I want to do this," and it's it's part of I'm not to say brand building, but once you go out and people see what you're doing, they will start to approach you. And they will start to say, "Look, can you be part of my initiative as well?" Yeah, that's so interesting. This, this is this kind of resonates. So I've never been on a board. That's actually, I'd love to do something like that. So maybe we'll talk about that offline. But one thing I realized, and because you, you said that first you went and asked. And again, this resonates like with a lesson I'm almost getting is, for example, I always wanted to do public speaking back in the day. And I always thought that you'd have to be some privileged person. You'd have to, you have to be some CEO and someone would have to invite yeah. you. Yeah. Till one day I realized I'm going to ask. And I asked. The first time I was offered, but then after that I realized I have to ask. And I kept asking, I still ask. And I had so many people come who've done public speaking, keynote speaking, panels, all these things. And at first they're like, we ask. And I feel you know, people don't either don't know to ask or don't know how to ask. And I think that's so important is somebody just has to go and ask. If you yeah. want to be, if you want to be on that panel, don't wait until they invite you. Yeah. Find out who's 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 running it, drop them a message, be like, hey, I want to be here. I have this much value to add. So yeah, but I really like that you actually did that. And now you're on how many? You're like three or four, right? Eh? Yeah, a couple. Um look, I love your point. Yeah. I think that people give too much attention to companies and titles. Yes. That's often not where the experience or know-how lies. Yes. So go out, yeah. put yourself out there and say, look, I, I want to help. I want to do this. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's paid or not paid. No, it doesn't matter. It's all about building up your experience. Yeah. Yeah, and 100%. this is actually what I say about communicators. I don't think we go out there enough and tell our story mm. And have our say on issues which matter to us, despite the fact that we do it on behalf of our clients, we do it behalf on behalf of our organisations. So, this is something I think a lot we would we would value and we would benefit from a lot more if for sure if there were more people also in marketing willing to stand up and say yes. that I think we can do a much better job here, yes. and this is why I think that's the case. Yes, and also it helps in terms of getting diversity viewpoints because you know when I open up a magazine. I always see the same people. Always. You know, so we've got always the same got, CEOs, to, same founders, yeah, same entrepreneurs. Expand the the number of voices. That it's we the have. same Forbes thirty under thirty, forty yeah. under forty. It's the yeah. same people all the time, and it's like, for me, it's always like I say this: if you feel you have value to add, add it. Yeah. Don't keep it to yourself because I realize if if you find ways to add value to someone else or to a corporation or to a public, and if it's even if it's free and it's okay, there's always value that's gonna come back to you. And also there's, as well. Oh, yeah. You don't need to do it through somebody else. No, you don't. Start, start a blog. You know, start a do podcast. A, do a podcast. That's exactly you what know, I'm even, doing. Even if you want, look, if you are, you don't have that many wrinkles on your face, <laughs> get out a camera, smartphone, record yourself. Yeah. Just do something which is different. Yeah. For me, the reason I started a podcast was purely was I want to add value. 
I like value. I like yep. giving people value. And the value that's come back to me intrinsically because part of it has been amazing. The people I've met, people who reached out to me, the knowledge I've acquired has been awesome. But my objective was always give the people out there some good content to enjoy. And that was it. That was yep. all I was caring about. But now everything coming back to me has been awesome. And I'm only like what? Like not that I've only been doing it for like a month. So I always tell people, if you feel you have value to add, give it out and you'll see how much value will come back to you even if you don't, even if you never ask for it. Yeah, but that's the thing. There is so much hunger yes. for information. There's so and, much. And different views, um, authenticity. You know, people want to hear something yeah. new, something fresh. They, they want to hear different experiences. So let, let's give it to them rather yeah. than having the same people say the same thing over and over again. The same platforms over and over With again. Most of the time, everything they say is always driven by we need to sell you something yeah. or value to them and yeah. not to you. So I guess in the end. So guys, if you if you have value, give it. Give content. People need it. We all want content. It's the reason why podcast is on the rise. The reason why people are enjoying reading articles and watching videos. It's because we all want to learn. Yeah. And we want to get value. All right, cool. Uh, perfect note to end on, I think. How, um, how can people reach out to you or find out about you or if you want to share anything? How do you go about it? So I'm on I'm on Twitter. Okay. Um, Alex A L E X underscore Maluf M A L O U F. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I used to be on Facebook, but I deleted my Facebook account. Fair uh, so you could find me on those two, and you know, just put in my name and and also as well, I'll send you some links. Yeah, so, yeah well, I'll put I'll put all know, the links. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll put a description of Alex and everything he's doing. It's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, for me, uh, this is let's take this online. This can be found everywhere. So even if you're listening to this and you want to find a different platform, you can find it everywhere. Um, Overcast, um, Google Chrome, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify. Um, and Rami just reached out. I need to get back in touch with them. Originally, we want to get an, on Rami as well. That'll be awesome. Uh, for me, I'm uh, Hassam Al Haj on LinkedIn. All my Instagram, so my Instagram, my Twitter is all digital hoose. Everything's on there. Check it out. Subscribe. Keep sending your feedback. Everyone who has has been amazing. Um, some people like it. Some people don't like it. I take it and I try to make it better. So I appreciate everyone's feedback. And that's it, guys. This is uh, let's take this online, and we are out.